Good morning and welcome everybody. You're listening to The Breakfast Show on Faith FM 87.6, 87.8 or 88 right across Australia, right across the Faith FM network, wherever you are. Positively different radio in the morning. You're with the Double L team, Lyle and... Lawson. Lawson. How are you this morning, Lawson? What are you thankful for? Oh, well, firstly, I'm great. And secondly, I am thankful that... God is good. Amen. <laughs> In other words, you don't have a long I, list of specific things. Not really. So you're going, going the general path. Yeah, I just had a pretty average day yesterday and, Fantastic. Just, you know, yeah, ate some food. And well, ask me what I'm thankful for. Yeah, then. what are you thankful for? Okay, okay. So um, <laughs> this is a bit of a long story. We have a Faith FM transmitter site. It It, mm-hmm. it is out at uh, Stanhope, so not too far from here. It's on a private property, and there's a four-wheel drive track that leads up to where it is, mm-hmm. and you can't get up there without a four-wheel drive, and it is a severe hike. And the guys who are maintaining it, well, they're retired. Mm. And so you got to carry a lot of gear up there, all that kind of stuff, and they don't own a four-wheel drive or anything like that. So we thought, well, what we should find is a four-wheel drive that mm. can be parked on the property and people can access it Yeah, for maintenance. You know, Every couple of months you can go up there and do the maintenance and so forth, and all is good. And so somebody donated as a four-wheel drive. Amazing. It needs a bit of work. Uh, fair enough. Uh, it needs an engine. Oh. But we've got an engine for 200 bucks. <laughs> It's not bad. <laughs> but then we had to transport it a long distance mm. and that was going to cost us a big amount of money. And then the person who did the transport for us, you know, quoted us, quoted us a figure of how much to transport the vehicle. Um, it, it arrived at my place last night mm-hmm. and then waived the fee because they're a fan of Faith FM Radio and they want to hear the message going out there. So massive shout-out to so David this amazing. morning. Is a mate. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. Fantastic stuff. What's happening in the world of positively different news? Warm our hearts this morning. Okay, so, well, this is kind, kind of warm, I guess. Um, the owner of the fourth biggest oil company in the world, uh, Reliance Petroleum, his name is Makesh Ambani, it's a, a, a Indian-based company, has said that the future belongs to renewable energy. Okay. And that, and then it's like... Oh, owner of an oil company. Yeah, the fourth largest one in the world has said the future belongs... Must be running to, out of oil. Yeah, well, this is the thing. They have ceased to look for new places to get oil from. Okay. Further than that, they've invested... Well, it's not, it's not like it's a renewable resource. I mean, sometime or other, we're going to have to run, run out. out. And so they've decided, okay, now's the time. Not only have they done that, but they've invested 750 billion rupees um, into working on a brand new renewable uh, energy supply chain, which, you know, you might be like, okay, well, what's the conversion rate? Well, that's around $12 billion. So this isn't like a tiny investment. The company is worth, I believe, uh, $200, $300 billion, somewhere around that mark. And for them to just say, okay, yeah, we're going to invest, you know, $10 billion of those into renewable energy, like, good for them. Um, so essentially they're just all about it. They want to leave fossil fuels behind. Uh, this is what they're saying anyway. Uh, that Yeah, for three centuries, they've had massive growth because of fossil fuels, but, you know, it can't continue. Uh, the carbon emissions, as well as the fact that it's not a renewable 
resources. Yeah, they've got to start planning for the future at some point. Yeah, and that today that like that's happening right now. So basically, six hundred and fifty billion of those rupees, or eight uh, billion of those dollars, is going into gigafactories where solar arrays, hydrogen fuel cells, and battery grids will be produced. And then another one hundred and fifty billion dollars will help reinforce value chain. Uh, the value chain throughout strategic partnerships. You know, it's an interesting thought because, you know, getting rid of uh, fuels that we are using to run motor vehicles is one thing. Mm. And so you swap from, you know, fossil fuels as a fuel source, but Mm. a motor vehicle still uses a tremendous amount of fossil fuel. So all of the plastic in the motor vehicle Mm -hmm. comes from fossil fuel. Mm -hmm. All of the metal in the motor vehicle is created through the use of, you know, fossil fuels to, to create that heat. Um, all of the, the, the rubber, mm. you know, rubber comes from a rubber tree. I get that, but you're still using fossil fuels to create that rubber. So you can make an electric car that doesn't run on fossil fuels, but there's a massive amount of every part of that car. And then, of course, you've got to you know provide for greases and oils and those kinds of things. Yeah. So the car, yeah, every part of that car is made by fossil fuels. Yeah, but you've got to think as well. It's like, okay, you there's a big fossil fuel toll that goes into making the car. And obviously that's something that they're going to work on in the future. But it's like that thing that the car always uses. Like this, It has this passive use of yes. fuel constantly yes. if you can replace that because i don't think you could say that the amount of fossil fuel that went into making the car eclipses the amount of fossil fuel that the car will use in its lifetime no that's probably true i just kind of sometimes sit back and wonder what will the world be look what would the world look like if time were to last long enough for us to run out of fossil fuels altogether mm. well i think the reality is is that we just need to meet those challenges because, I mean, all of those solar panels that are being created, all of those lithium batteries that are mm. being created, all being created by the use of non-renewable resources. But the idea there is that, like, you know, you build a power station, you've got a power station, then you're looking at a population increase and you build more power stations. But we've, as we talked about yesterday, if we have a declining population, you build enough solar panels to cater for all of those Well, this people. is why one of the reasons why a lot of people in the world are campaigning for a lower population. Because mm. they're like, too many peeps. Too much fossil fuel. We don't want to share. (laughs) 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 All right. Uh, Interesting. Interesting interesting. stuff. Okay. But go go these guys. This is the right direction to go. Mm, This is fantastic stuff. All right, Lyle. You've heard it said before probably that one man's trash is another man's treasure. Yes. Well, now you can say that one man's excrement is that same man's economic gain. Okay. If you go to a school in South this Korea. Is, I'm not... This is a breakfast show, Lawson. Okay, so check this out. Check this out. Basically, I, I, I understand. I'm going to be uh, as careful as I can with the words that I use. All right. Um, there is a guy in South Korea. His name is uh, Cho Jae-won. He is from the... He's, he's an urban and environmental engineering professor from Ulsan National University of Science and Technology. This is in South Korea. And he has created a toilet that you use and then it basically it's like a composting toilet that then turns into like a methane gas biofuel cell and pays you cryptocurrency when you use it really yeah 
which is this is guys this is the future okay because we've been we've been looking and observing in our world all all of this like terribleness because of like cryptocurrency mining and how people have been using that and running the electronic you know so you industry. get some zeros and ones in the cloud yeah mm. yeah so basically instead of crypto mining to g- gain cryptocurrency you just go to the toilet well at least you're trading in something tangible <laughs> yeah that that equals something intangible. But essentially, like, okay, when I say, like, oh, it gives you cryptocurrency, it gives you one specific form of cryptocurrency, which is um, BV, which is a cryptocurrency they created around this project that essentially allows you to then go and buy things at the school, like, cafeteria. Right. Okay. Which then I'm like... So I'm, they have their own internal cryptocurrency. Lawson, we just need to do the same thing here. Yeah. We need to launch a... Lyle and Lawson, double L, double L, double L, double L coin, double L coin. There you go, the double L coin, and we'll trade some way of all these people, and then we'll maybe what we can do. I've got it solved, Lawson. This is the solution. It is right here. Instead of giving away prizes every day, that you know cost us like. Money, as in real money. <laughs> we can give away double L coins. Yeah, you can win yeah. double L coins even a, on the breakfast show. You know, a, a single double L coin. It's like, well, how much is that? Oh, probably as much as a Bitcoin. <laughs> <laughs> Cryptocurrency. <laughs> yeah, this is this is wild. So basically, like, every time, like, the person goes to the toilet, they create 0.5 of a kilowatt hour of energy. Um, and that is just, yeah, going along with this invention. So this is actually interesting because, I mean, you know, you and I, I think everybody has friends these days that are dabbling in cryptocurrency, which kind of is like, okay, you're trading in zeros and ones that are not even written down anywhere. Mm -hmm. They're just floating around in the cloud. Mm-hmm. And it just leaves me skeptical. I'm sorry. I just, oh, I'm, I mean, I'm, in the I'm just like the place. biggest skeptic on it. But this idea, well, you're actually doing something positive because you're creating energy. You're creating energy, and then you get free food at the cafeteria for it. Yeah, how good I'll, is I'll that? Go for that? Absolutely, it's a great deal. Great deal. You're listening to the Breakfast Joe podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. California is rethinking their stand on woke maths. Okay, okay. What, so this is what the most we, bizarre story we, that's ever come up with in modern times. Woke math. Yes, woke math. I know maths. we've talked previously about how people are like math deniers, but what is like woke maths? Okay, so woke maths was something that um, came about as a, as a result of critical race theory. It's been around for a long time, but it's never been taken seriously until the race riots last year in the United mm. States, in which some states started to look at it, and particularly the state of Oregon, um, you know, came out very publicly and said that maths is inherently racist. You can't teach math without being racist, which is mm, yeah, just bizarre beyond imagination that educated, intelligent people would say something like that. But anyway, that's what happened. And so a number of states have been looking at it. Uh, state of California was going to introduce woke maths, which is kind of basically another way of saying they're going to do away with maths because you can only have one kind of maths, mathematics. You know, mm. you, you can't change, you can't have, okay, uh, one plus one equals two if you're white, but if you're black, then it equals five. You can't have that. Okay, 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 okay. What but makes then they maths found, racist? Then like, they found since the race riots, they found that maths is also gendered. How? I, I don't, don't know. 
not. Uh, I, I don't understand. don't understand. I don't understand. But the important thing is that California is rethinking their position on what. Good. Cats. Why is anyone thinking about it? I. <laughs> like, I'm lost for words. Okay, so the state, the California State Board of Education is reconsidering um, after they stated that maths should be taught in a non-gendered, non-racist way. And this is after hundreds of scientists, mathematicians, engin- and engineering uh, experts signed an open letter to the California State Board of Education basically stating that removing the tools that young people need to function in society would be another way of re-enslaving those children. Mm. They pointed out that one of the ways that the slaveholders were actually able to maintain slavery back in the slave era was by keeping education away from the slaves. While ever they were uneducated, then you kind of had the option of being a slave or starving to death. Yeah. And so they were able to maintain slavery because they were able to maintain a level of uneducation and that by removing mathematics from society, basically what you are going to create is uh, a- another version of slavery. So they've pointed this out in this letter and the California State Board of Education gone, oh, yeah, maybe. Um, and when you look at slavery in modern times, you will typically find, particularly with women who are trafficked in sex slavery and so forth, mm. those who are under the worst kinds of slavery are the ones who have the lowest education, so have having a low education gives you few options, and language barriers. Mm. You know, you traffic somebody who has a low education and poor language skills, and you're going to keep them enslaved for a very, very long time because if they don't stay in that slavery, they're going to starve, and that's a great motivation to stay in slavery. Okay, so just just quick side note. I really wanted to know how maths is racist. I've never been able to figure it out. Okay. I've been trying to figure this out. I'm, yes. I'm reading an article and it's not, and this is so classic. Like this is yes. so classic of all these things that are brought up. And there's so many examples I could give, but I don't want to get myself in trouble without having sufficient evidence to talk about all of them. But essentially the way that maths is racist is because of the disparity between opportunities between, well, apparently white people and people who are more marginalized so, so basically, it's racist because people don't have access to good tuition. And, so, and then is doing that away can, with that is going to somehow solve the solve problem. problem. Yeah. Anyway, the Ontario Premier uh, Doug Ford has rejected a Canadian um, uh, initiative to have work maths being taught in that particular area, mm-hmm. and of course. Um, the Adventist education system in the United States and Canada has, is still teaching math as an absolute. Let's keep <laughs> good. Let's keep politics out of mathematics because that's a just a weird, weird. Oh, idea. so basically, okay. What I'm what I'm gathering from this, I've, I've just done some yeah, some, some looking some, at it my, myself. Some three second research, and what I'm gathering is that basically, math. You can't say math is a concrete absolute. If not everyone has the um, the privilege of having access to really good education that could teach you really good maths. Okay, but that makes no sense. It does. It does make no sense. Like it doesn't make sense. Yes. Um, yeah. Anyways, all right. <laughs> um, let's talk about Olivia Sandor. Now, this is an interesting is one this? because we're going to talk about uh, vaccines in just a moment. We've got uh, Darren Pratt coming in mm. and we're going to have a com- bit of a conversation about vaccines, amongst other things, amongst other issues. But this is this young lady um, 
unfortunately came down with Guillain-Barr syndrome. And as a result of that, this is a, uh, a, a dangerous disease. It's an autoimmune disease. And she was paralyzed from the waist down for a whole month. Mm-hmm. Now, she's regained her ability to be able to you know, use her body and to function normally in life, which she puts down to a miracle because she wasn't expected to recover from that. Mm. Um, she was expected to, yeah, kind of be in a wheelchair for the rest of her life. But anyway... Um, the side effects of having a COVID vaccine, if you have Guillain-Barr syndrome, uh, could be permanent paralysis or even death. Mm. This is pretty pretty severe. And she's just been rejected from the Brigham Young University Hawaii because she's not vaccinated. Oh, so So this is an interesting story when you think about this, because every private institution, they've got a right to make whatever rules they want. Mm-hmm. You, you have to be vaccinated to come here. Fair enough. That's They have the right to do that. Mm. Um, they are a private institution. But when you've got somebody like this who, who actually has a medical exemption and she went to you know the hospital that was treating her and got a board from the medical directors, of uh, got a, 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 a letter from the medical directors, the, the board of the hospital, stating that you know she has a medical exemption, she can't have this particular vaccination. Mm. And uh, she was rejected, so she appealed it, you know, right the way through to the president of the university, rejected a second time round. Wow. This is pretty, pretty full on. Mm. Um, and that's caused her to lose $200,000 in scholarships that she had for oh, that university. That's terrible. Yeah, that's pretty rough. Anyway, um, just doing a little bit of research on this, there's been 100 people who have developed Guillain-Barr syndrome from the vaccination and you know everybody freaks out over there like oh no 100 people got you know a disease from the vaccination there's been 100 million people in the United States who have had that vaccination mm. so there's one in a million mm. there are a lot of things we do in life that are infinitely more risky than that mm. nothing comes without risk and we need to recognize that fact um and out of those, there have been 95 that have been hospitalised and there's been one death. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. Okay, so joining us in the studio this morning is Darren Pratt. And Darren has spent his entire life, I think, pretty much in children's ministry. Yes, love it. And, love uh, reading in it, love working in it. Yes. So so yes. there's a few questions from stories that have popped up over the last week or so that I wanted to, uh, to ask Darren about, uh, particularly... Particularly this story out of Washington, D.C. What's happening in Washington, D.C., Lyle? So Washington, D.C., they've passed a law where uh, students can get vaccinated without their parents' consent. So let me give a bit of background to this. Uh, when, it first, when it was first reported, I'm like, oh, this is a COVID law uh, that has come about. It actually predates COVID, not by very much. What? So they've got a law that allows kids to be vaccinated without their parents knowing? 11 years and older your child can be vaccinated without your parents finding out. And so basically it works like this. Uh, if your kids are at school and they come around to vaccinate the kids, uh, the kids can make that choice themselves. And uh, if their parents have told them, no, we don't want you to be vaccinated, then the children will be told, well, just don't tell your parents and it won't go on your medical record that your parents can see. And so what you've got to have then is two medical records so that the doctors can see two records, but the parents can only see one. Now, there's a bunch of questions that go through my mind here because I'm generally pro-vax, you know? 
Uh, I've looked into this in great detail, and as a general rule, that's where I'm stand. Darren, I understand that you have been freshly jabbed, is that so? Yes, I have my first dose of Pfizer, and I'm going in next Monday to get the second dose. Um, so, yes, I guess that I've done the research, and I've decided to to go with Pfizer and get the vaccination. So. This is good. This is encouraging for me. I'm going to. I'm going I'm to sit still back. Alive. I'm still. I'm going to. I'm going to sit back and watch Darren for the next six months and see what happens. If he turns into a crocodile, then I won't get Pfizer. I got to ask. Actually, when I home, say, can you get five G now, Dad? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, okay. So, so you're not somebody who is. You're obviously not somebody who's anti-vax. No. I, I but what about I'm, this? Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. I guess for me, it's um, I have a lot of people around me who are vulnerable, um, family especially, and for me, it's protecting the vulnerable by being vaccinated. I'm protecting my community, protecting those who are vulnerable in my community, which I believe is a biblical mandate. So that's what that's why I'm doing it. Yeah, absolutely. And and this is the thing. My biggest thing is that I'm pro-choice on this issue. Yeah, I well, don't I'm not believe. Force people. I don't believe that we should be forcing people, and the more we force people, the less people that are actually going to get a vaccination anyway. Yeah, I've never seen anything in my life that's divided communities so much as this one. Um, no. <laughs> so many people are either so pro or so against, and I've watched it go down on, on social media a number of Again, times. Again, <laughs> it's, it's like I can't even open my social media without having probably 50% of it on this particular yes. subject. Yeah, well, one way or the other. So <laughs> One way or the other. Okay, so what about this? All right, here's, here's the question. Is it right and is it healthy to for adults that are you know not relatives and so forth but have obviously a lot of close contact with your children school teachers and so mm-hmm. forth to teach children to lie to their parents about what those adults are doing to them Yes that is the huge ethical dilemma right there Lyle is that we're encouraging children to trust there are other people in their authority in the community, like teachers and doctors and medical people and principals, rather than their parents. And that's where I And we should we should we should be instilling in our in our children a level of trust, you know, in, in, in teachers and doctors and, you know, so forth, because, you know, we don't want to live in fear. That's right. I'm gonna teach and I've got to teach our children to think for themselves and raise yes. them to be independent people down the track. But I'm not sure if eleven is the right age for that to be occurring. Um yeah. I'm not sure whether we should ever be teaching children to lie to their parents. No, no, especially when we look at things like um, abuse and child protection. Um, we're encouraging them to keep things from their parents rather than be open with their parents. And as a parent, if my kid was vaccinated at the age of 11 and I didn't know about it, I'll be pretty upset, I would think. And this is And this is sort of where I'm heading with this one because you've obviously done a lot of work in you know child protection, there has been you know a lot of work done in the area of institutional child sex yep. abuse. Yep. And one of the things that sort of popped into my head is, you know, classic grooming is you start by teaching children to withhold information from their parents. Yes, yes. Anyone that wants to, um, um, yeah, you're right. Abuse a child, the first thing to do is to remove them from their their family and and say that um, yeah, try and make them removed from those sorts of people, and especially when it's some um, communities that in the past, according to the Royal Commission, that have abused children, um, we're saying, well, you need to trust those very communities, not your parents. Mm. And, and that just goes against the grain of, of what it means to teach our children to be open and honest um, 
with themselves and with their parents. And yeah, um, it it really is a we might call a corporate grooming almost tactic. Well, that was the yeah that was that was really where I was sort of looking at. I mean, if we if we teach children that okay, you uh, need to trust your school teacher and not your parent, and you need to withhold information from your parent, then to me that makes the children more vulnerable to you know other t- types of abuse that you know may go on, and we know that do go on. Yeah, well, when, a, when we know a child's moral compass has been formed at those very years, um, their moral compass for life is being set by the age of nine, actually. Um, they say it, it's basically almost in place. And yet we're saying, well, at the same time, we're saying, no, you can't trust your parents and you can't trust this, you trust us. It's, it's going to cause all sorts of trust issues with the child. And, um, yeah, if they can lie to the parent about this one, like commissioned or given permission to lie to your parents, then what else is there going on? And I think it, it's going to really upset the child's moral compass for life. One of the examples here, because there are four families that have taken the uh, um, Washington DC to court over this, uh, one of the examples is of a child that did actually have a medical exemption for a number of vaccinations, but was cornered and felt cornered because the doctors and the teachers we're putting so much pressure on them to receive the vaccination and uh, to the point where, you know, they they felt that, you know, they were in a room, that there were adults between them and the door, the there was all of this pressure on them and, you know, they felt you know, they, they left in tears and all that kind of thing. This does not seem like a healthy environment and no, a healthy no. piece of piece of legislation. I mean, this is all being reported in the Washington Post, which is a notoriously left-wing newspaper. Um, and so when the left is calling something out like this, then... It's a huge concern. It's a huge massive concern. concern. And and the thing is, um, that child, um, you've got to trust that the parents know, know their children. Um, they've, they've, they've made that child, the child's been created in that family and has grown up in that family. You've got to trust that the parents know their children best and yeah, as they grow up, they become more independent. But um, that happens a lot later in life, in my opinion, rather than nine, ten, eleven. And um, I think that we need to really keep an eye on this because, um, yeah, if it ever comes into my way, I tell you, I was one of the people yes. protesting against it. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. And, and and the issue of consent comes in here because we say that a child is not able to give consent. That's right. For anything else, for, that's right. But with this, you know, which you know, could be a life-threatening situation because the teachers and the doctors who travel to the school might not know, you know, the full uh, medical history of that particular child and might say, well, this child doesn't have vaccinations, might not realise that there's actually a medical reason for that, you know, for anaphylaxis or whatever else. You know, right. there, are, there are some other issues. And just like, oh, their parents are anti-vax, let's make sure that we, uh, we, we, we get these kids vaccinated. And it could be a disaster, a medical disaster as well. Oh, that's right. Um, there's, I react to some all sorts of things, and I got very. I did my research very carefully on these vaccinations I had because you want to know what's going into your body, and and what bits and pieces are there. Because I react to soy, I react to egg white, I react to all sorts of things that, that are in in those vaccinations. Yes, so yes. You've got to know, and, and I do have an anaphylactic reaction. So, I think we need to realise that parents do know best. We need to trust the parents with the community. That is number one for the child, the way God created families to be. Absolutely. Absolutely. The other question, the other uh, interesting story is the uh, the new move in the United States. Both of these stories coming out of the United States to increase the 
the level of free education, and free education is great. Uh, education is incredibly important um, by adding you know, two years at either end of the education. And so basically uh, that means you get two years of, uh, of free community college you know, at the yep. end of your year 12, after year 12. But the question that sort of disturbs me the most is, is not so much that because, yep, fine, whatever, that's great. Um, but they're saying, well, we're adding four years of free education, but the other place that they're adding those two years is to the beginning. Oh, Yes. Which means that you're going to have some kids, most kids that means they're going to be three years old when they go to school, and some as young as, well, in their late twos. Um, that is huge, huge concern for me. As a child expert. Yes, yes. yes. Um, because um, our children really, I say that age five or six is what you're looking at for children going to school, and you say, well, we allow for that. Yes. Um, but there's a big push, I guess, to reduce play and increase learning to, to reach these government-set milestones. Um, but all the research is saying that the more children play, especially in those early years, the better they are going to be the rest of their lives. It's interesting you say that because I can share my own testimony, which is purely anecdotal. Uh, I grew up in the bush and I didn't go to school until I was eight. Yep. And... Uh, didn't do homeschooling like that, although I, there was certainly a lot that I learned, you know, just hanging around with my mum and, and, and that kind of thing. But certainly spent a lot of time at play, most of which was if the sun was shining, we were outside. That was kind of the rule. If the sun shine, if it's not raining, you're outside. That was pretty much the rule now. When the street lights come on, yeah, 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 <laughs> that's right. <laughs> or we get hungry. Have, we didn't have street, we didn't have street lights where we were, but yeah, come home when the sun comes down, or you get hungry, whatever. And when I went to school, of course, I'm years behind everybody else, and I start doing grade one, grade one stuff, and I blitzkrieg grade one, two, and three, and you know, ended up in the, in grade four by the end of the year, not because I'm an intelligent person, but because. I think I'd had those years of play that had allowed my mind to develop. Now, that's just purely anecdotal. That's one example. That's only me. But I'm thinking we should be going the other direction later rather than younger. Yes, and, and the psychologists in Australia behind us, Maggie Dent, um, a well-known writer, um, Steve Bidoff, um, well-known um, psychologist, well, they're right behind the idea that, that kids should be allowed to play as long as possible. Maggie Dent says... And this is quite a quote. Our children must not be seen as sources of data or brains on a seat to become test monkeys to serve politicians or educational bureaucrats. Oh, <laughs> wow. That's an epic quote right there. Uh, yeah, well, I, lo I love Maggie Dent. And her books are all available in her bookstores. Some really great um, parenting tips from her. But, yeah, basically hold on to your kids as long as you can. With parents, um don't feel the pressure to get your kids into school. Um, and if you are able to have your kids at home to play and be involved in, as you said, the free play, outside climbing a tree, whatever else needs to happen, that is the way to go. Yeah, and it's one of those things that, you know, I think sometimes we look down on families where you don't have both parents working. And it's like, well, there's one, one of them is the lazy person in the home. And that's only recently that's developed. Yes, um, that's right. And, 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 you know, anybody who's been a parent in the home knows that that is not the case. Definitely. Yeah, definitely not the case. I mean, the, the parent who's in the home is not a lazy, a lazy person because they're going to be busy. They're going to be active. And, you know, for Shell and myself, we invested Shell's potential income into our kids. 
That's right. Which means that we are now, our kids have have now, sorry for butting in, our our kids have now grown up, left home, and for the first time in their lives we're buying a house, which is the opposite way around. Well, and that's why we did exactly the same in our family. Um, We're just buying a house now. Yeah, okay, so we're in the same boat here. (laughs) And my son's married and on his own, um, but we we chose to invest into our children's um, future, and I think that I can see that, have you ever regretted? Have you ever regretted the lack of money that you had and the fact that you didn't own a home, um, as opposed to investing in your kids? No, no, no amount of money can can ever pay for the right relationship with your kids and the right um, teaching and learning for your kids, um, especially in those first um, fourteen years. Um, no, I don't regret it at all. Yeah, absolutely. Darren Pratt, thank you so much for joining us here on Faith FM to talk about children. Of course, Darren is the expert on this particular subject, and I always appreciate it. We always appreciate it when Darren is able to come in and share with us. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.